Welcome to Firm Foundations, a ministry of the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. FEC is an association of churches that work together to glorify God and to share His good news by establishing reproducing churches throughout the world. It was Jesus Himself who taught that we can stand firm on the foundation of His Word, even when we're being attacked by the storms of this life. Last week, we brought you the first part of a message from Chris Freeman, lead pastor of Pine Hills City Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, recorded during the annual Fellowship of Evangelical Churches Conference in July 2019. Here is the conclusion. John uh, 4, go back to the passage. We're going to pick it up at verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Don't miss that. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I I really feel like that's true for me. I feel like I've been able to step, like I said before, standing on the shoulders of giants here. I think the third thing that we learn here from from Jesus when it comes to engaging Samaria is that if we want to do this well, we've got to choose passion over polish. We've got to choose passion over polish. So when the disciples show back up, they're kind of caught off guard. Nobody wanted to say anything. Nobody wanted to ask the question because it's it's, it's the Lord, right? Like it's Jesus. You don't really question Jesus. But this, this seems a little off. Kind of caught them off guard, caught them by surprise. They're wondering why in the world is he talking to a woman and especially a Samaritan woman? And then they have this dialogue about food, um, which leads Jesus to say, look around you. Open your eyes. The harvest is plentiful. You just aren't willing to see it. You are overlooking these fields because they are messy, because they aren't polished. And as a result, you're missing the harvest. They're right here. We have to be willing to choose passion over polish. We have to be willing to embrace the mess. One of the things that I've learned is that people are messy. And I know this because I'm messy, and I know that you're messy. And sometimes in church world, like the longer you're in church world, the easier it is for you and me, we can just hide our mess better. Like that's, that's just the reality. Like we just learn how to hide our mess a little bit better. But man, like when you get to Samaria, people are messy. And so our call is simply just to love the mess out of people. They are messy, but but God has called us to go and love the mess out of people and and to be willing to choose passion over polish and to say, look, like I I don't care what their past is. I, I don't care what they look like. Listen, like if they're at all open and willing 
to have these conversations and, and to explore who Jesus is. Those are the people we need to pr- be pursuing, not the ones that are the most polished and the most cleaned up. And I think this is really important for us in our churches too, to make sure that we're, we're not trying to present the most polished versions of ourselves. That, that like we need to choose passion over polish. This is something I teach with our staff team and our leaders all the time. Like, like in our church, we're a church plant, we're in a rented facility, and it's a great facility, don't get me wrong, it's actually, this is kind of amazing, it's actually the Taylor University Fort Wayne campus, the one that I shut down, like now people think that was my strategy, like shut that campus down and then you can go back there and start a church in it. And so that's where we meet now, it's a great facility. But as a, as a rented facility, man, every single week there's something that goes wrong. Like every single Sunday there's something that goes wrong, things that, things that just don't work out right. And I'm always tempted in those moments, I'm always tempted to try to fix all of those things for the next week. And yes, we wanna pursue excellence, we wanna do, do our very best and we wanna honor God in that. But I've also learned that when people get to see things go wrong, when people get to see that like we aren't perfect and we don't have it perfect, especially if, if they're broken, messy people, they can kind of start to relate to us a little bit more. And they can identify with you. So I just wanna encourage you, like in your churches, in your ministries, in your context, don't be too polished. Choose passion over polish. And when it comes to other people, don't expect them to be too polished. Encourage them to be passionate about the Lord and let him polish them up. It's not your job or my job to polish people. Man, aren't you so glad that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to change your neighbor as yourself? Wait a second. What is it? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you and I are called to do. Listen, here's what I've learned. I can't change anybody. I just can't, like I have tried really hard and I can't change anybody. Now yes, I can mentor people, I can invest in people, I can coach people, I can disciple people, but the one thing that I have never been able to do is change somebody's heart. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I think it's so important in every session so far in, the, in, in this entire weekend that we have emphasized the role of the Holy Spirit in this because I'm not gonna change anybody. I mean, I can love people and then the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me and, and in other people, we, be, we begin to see them change. Your job is to love people. And that doesn't mean that you lie to people. That doesn't mean that you don't call people out. That doesn't mean that, that you don't hold people accountable. But, but your job is to love them, not to change them. The Holy Spirit's job is to change them. So I wanna share, I wanna be a little vulnerable with you here for a minute and share a story that's personal to me. Uh, but this, is, this has been just really powerful in my understanding of how to reach Samaria. So I've got an older brother two years older than me. And about a week and a half ago, my brother sent a text message to my mom and dad at two in the morning. And he said, essentially, this is it. It was a a goodbye text, just kind of saying, I'm gonna end it. And so my parents somehow were able to get a hold of my brother and, and two in the morning just pr- praised the Lord that they woke up and even saw the text message. But they were able to get a hold of my brother and 
talk to him and talk him off that ledge. And at that moment, my brother was in Tijuana, Mexico, uh, just finished four days of a uh, bender on alcohol and drugs, and um, previously before this, had lost his job in the last couple of weeks, uh, lost his wife, um, gambled away tens of thousands of dollars, and was at very rock bottom. And so he sent my parents this text just to say, I, I have nothing else to live for. And so my parents got a hold of him and they talked to him and they, they said, please, if, if you will get on an airplane and you will fly home and you will check yourself into a hospital, we will pay for the plane ticket and, and, and we'll get you there, we'll meet you there and, and we'll be with you. And so he agreed. So right now, my brother is in um, the first week of a three-week intensive rehab program, and, and he's taking the first step in a thousand really difficult steps toward recovery. And I, I'm hoping and praying that, that through this process, he finds the Lord. My brother was raised in a Christian home just like me. And I've often thought about this because he's had a hard life and, and he's made a lot of really negative decisions to get to this place. But I've often thought and asked the question like, what, what is it? Like we were raised in the same house, same parents, same context. Like, like what is it? Like how, and, and almost to the point where I can start to feel a little guilty. Like, like God, like how, how did I end up where I am? And he ended up where he is. And the only answer I can tell you is it's, it has nothing to do with me. Like, like I, if it were up to me, I would be in the exact same place he is. But it's, it's the grace of God. And not that the, God's grace isn't available to him, but, but, but the grace of God in my life has sustained me and got me to the, the place where I'm at today. But I remember it was about a year and a half ago and he was still in the middle of this series of really unhealthy decisions and just so far from the Lord. And we were all visiting with my parents in North Carolina. That's where they live now. And my mom was asking if we would all go to church together as a family. We hadn't been to church together as a family in a really long time. And my brother was just saying, there's no way I'm not stepping foot in a church. I'll never go to church. And somehow we convinced them to go to church together as a family. And we went into this church. It's a big church, great church down there in North Carolina, probably a church about the size of Northwoods. Great church, spirit-filled church, loving the Lord, leading people to Jesus. And we went in, and my brother, as soon as we walked in, my brother found a spot up against the wall, and he just literally backed himself up against the wall. Like, he, he just couldn't even stand to be in there. He felt so uncomfortable. And we went and dropped our kids off while he just waited. And then finally, we all went into the auditorium together, and we went and we found a row, and we sat down, waited for the service to start. And my brother just slouched as low as he possibly could in the seat so nobody could see him. And then when it was time for the music, they asked everybody to stand. And so he did stand, but he literally gripped the seat back in front of him as tight as he possibly could. I watched him holding onto the seat and just the look on his face with so much frustration. And I could tell... That he wasn't, it wasn't so much that, that he felt like God was angry with him, but it was more like he felt like he didn't deserve to be there. Like he, felt, he just felt like he didn't belong. And, and I could literally, and some, some of you, this may freak you out, but I could literally feel the, the, the 
physical presence of the demonic on my brother in that moment. Like I, I could just feel the, like the spiritual warfare happening and battling over my brother to the point like, like in my church, man, I sit on the front row and I sit on the front row for two reasons. Number one, I'm a bad singer and I don't want anybody else to hear me. And so I love to just sing as loud as I possibly can. And number two, I like to raise my hands and move my arms around. And I know that freaks some people out, but that's just, that's just kind of where the Lord's led me. And so I like to sit on the front row so I can do those sort of things. Where we were at, I literally felt like I couldn't even raise my hands or move my arms in that moment just because of, the, of, of what was going on with, with my brother. And then as soon as service was over, we left and, and he like almost bolted and sprinted out of this church. And as we walked out, he said the words, man, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Just couldn't wait to get out of there. And I went home and I remember just thinking about that and just praying for my brother. I still pray for my brother. I, I would just ask, actually invite you to please, like it'd be amazing for, for this whole uh, group of people to begin praying for my brother as well. Because I believe that as soon as the Lord gets a hold of his life, like hold on baby, it's gonna be unbelievable. And I'm believing that for him. But anyway, as soon as, as, soon as we walked out, he said that and, I, and ever since then, I've just been praying for him. And I've been asking the Lord, like, like what are you trying to teach me in all of this? And what, what he's used in that, this isn't God's will for my brother's life, but the way he's used that in my life is to remind me that every, every single Sunday, there's somebody in my church that was probably guilted into being there and they're there to oblige their mother and they feel like they do not belong and they feel like there's no place for them and it's my job to communicate to them that Jesus loves them and Jesus went after them and Jesus died on the cross for them and in the same way that he did it for them, he did it for me and there's no difference between me and them. And, and I hope we just, all of us here can start to understand that that is God's heart, that he goes after the lost and he reaches out to Samaria. Let's wrap things up here. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So I think the last thing that we can learn from Jesus when it comes to reaching Samaria is that we've gotta be willing to choose the gospel over everything. Like we've just gotta be willing to choose the gospel over everything, above everything else, above all of our preferences, above all of the different methods, above all of the, the polish. The only thing that matters is the gospel. And that's why we exist, to share the gospel and to preach the gospel. And I, I just love how this closes, that, that this woman who we all identify, like when you think about the Samaritan woman, what you think about and what I think about, and, and oftentimes when we think about this passage, what we identify is that was a woman that Jesus saved, but, but she was a woman who had five husbands and was sleeping with another man. What we fail to recognize is that she was one of the greatest evangelists in her time. We don't call her the, the Samaritan evangelist, but that's exactly what she was. Let me ask you this. How many people in your church have you written off or said, no, 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 there's, there's no place for you? Or like, look, you can be here, you can belong here, but as far as like an actual ministry role, like I'm sorry, but, but like you've been divorced too many times. Because if that's your standard, I'm just here to tell you that wasn't Jesus' standard. He, he just said, look, I, I'm here to change your life. 
And when I get a hold of you, it's gonna change everything. And this woman, woman went on to be an incredible evangelist and led her town to Jesus, led him to the feet of Jesus. I wanna close with one last story. I know I'm almost out of time. About two years ago, a woman named Angie, a young woman in our church named Angie came up to me and asked if we could set up a time for a meeting. And so we, we did and we sat down and when she came and talked to me, she said, I wanna tell you about a ministry I'm a part of and I wanna ask you if, if it would be okay for me to be a part of this ministry and for me to kind of introduce this ministry even into to our church. I said, okay, why don't you tell me about that ministry? And she said, I'm part of a ministry where me and it's her and one other woman, they go into a, a local strip club every Thursday evening. When they go into the strip club, they, they just simply go in with, with baked goods and they go in and they love on the dancers and they've built relationships with the staff and even the bouncers and, and they're allowed to go in and they go in and they just love on, on people and they pray with them. And she said, so first of all, I just wanted, wanted you to know I'm a part of that and wanted to make sure it's okay for me to be a part of that and be a part of this church. And I was like kind of scratching my head, like, really? Like, like who do you think I'm in? Like, the Antichrist? Yes, like, that's amazing. <laughs> and, and she goes, no, you wouldn't understand how many churches, like, like when I tell them that, they just, like, hey, that's, that's good for you, but I don't know if we really want that here. I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, well here's what you, you need to know. Like, the end goal is not for us to, to spend time in the club. The end goal is for, for us to bring the club here. I said, okay, well, tell me more about that. And she said, so, so we, just, we just love on these women. We build relationships with them. But, but you need to know a lot of them are actually trafficked into this. They didn't choose this. She said, there's not a single woman in the world that wakes up one day and says, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to go dance in a club. That's how I wanna make my income. She said most of them are trafficked into it. If they're not, they, they end up into it just because of really difficult circumstances in their life. And she said, but, but our goal is to lead them to Jesus and then to, to introduce them to this church body. And she said, but you need to know, like, like they're messy. Their lives are messy. I said, look, like I, like I didn't become a church planner for, for no reason. Like, like I'm not playing church here. We're trying to reach lost people, yes. Absolutely, that is welcome here. And so she's been on this journey, her and Angie and her, her friend Carrie have been on this journey. Every Thursday night they go into the club and, and one night they actually invited me and another guy to come and pray with them in a, in a different parking lot across the street before they went into the club. And so they said, we meet at eight o'clock for prayer. And I said, okay. So I went and we met and we actually just, the four of us sat in a car and we prayed together and we started praying and I was thinking, all right, we're gonna pray 10, 15 minutes and then we'll get out, we'll go home and they'll do their thing. Two hours later, they turned around and they said, okay, we're filled up. You guys can leave, we're gonna go. Like, like they, they just have to like saturate themselves in prayer. And so we got out of, out of that car and we actually went and we, we just drove home and they went into the club at 10 o'clock and they stay in the club till three in the morning, every Thursday night. And they work the next morning. Carrie has young children. And they do this every single Thursday night. And they've been doing it for years. And so then, about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, one Thursday morning, we, uh, every Thursday at our church, since, pretty much since the beginning, we have Thursday morning prayer. It's at uh, 5.15 in the morning. We have about 15 to 20 people that show up to this thing every Thursday morning. And so Angie shows up for Thursday morning prayer and she brings in this young woman, uh, tattoos all over her body, piercings all over her body, not dressed in the typical way you would dress for Thursday morning prayer. She walks in and sits down and 
we begin our time of prayer. Different points throughout the time, she says some things that really sound pretty strange and foreign to me, and I can start to gather that, like, I don't think she knows Jesus at all. But then afterwards, I talked with Angie about it, and she said, you know, um, this is one of the dancers from the club. She said she's actually, uh, right now, she's caught up in the occult and witchcraft and Wicca. And she said, but, but she's so hungry for anything spiritual that she heard that a group of people got up at five in the morning to pray, and she thought that was pretty interesting and wild, so she decided to come and check it out. And so she came back the next Thursday, and then she came back the following Sunday. She came to church. I didn't even know if she was there. And I preached a message. We have two services, one at nine, one at 11. I preached a message at the nine o'clock service. She was there, and at the end of the service, I just had an opportunity, invitation. Anybody that wanted to come down, we have people who pray. They would love to pray with them, and if anybody wanted to give their life to Jesus. She came down, and she literally just fell on the floor at the front of the room and just started weeping, like weeping, and, and for, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and we have a good gap in between our services, and it got to the point that it was time to start the next service, and she was still there. We had a group of women around her praying with her, and they actually said, hey, can, can we take you, and just, we have a prayer room, we have a separate room, can we take you to that prayer, and we just want to continue praying with you. And so they did, and about 15 minutes later, we're, we're in the middle of the worship, and, and one of those women comes back down to me, and she's holding this scarf, and she comes up to me, and we're like, I'm in the middle of singing, and she goes, she goes hey, um, uh, that girl, she, she just gave me this scarf, and I don't know what to do with it. I was like, I don't, why are you telling me this? She goes, no, 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 it, it's, a, it's a scarf that's associated with witchcraft. She goes, she, she didn't want it anymore. Like, she wanted to get rid of it, and, and I, so I don't know what to do with it. And I was like, well, I, I don't want that. I'm about to go preach. Like, do not give me that witchcraft scarf. You do something else with that. And so she goes, do we burn it? I said, well, we don't own this property. Don't burn anything here. Take it somewhere else and go burn it. So they did. And that day, up in the prayer room with those women, she gave her life to Christ. Gave her life to Jesus. Now, now listen, it, people are messy. And, and this, this is a process. This is, this is a journey. So she gave her life to Jesus that day. And the next day, she was back in the club because she didn't know what else to do. But, but she's a believer now who's back in the club and she goes back in the club and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's starting work, to work on her and she goes, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this anymore. So within a week, she's out of the club. She's showing back up to Thursday morning prayer. This time she's got a Bible. She's opening it. She's reading it. She's got a little more clothes on this time. And week by week, over the last about month and a half, I've just seen this, this young woman grow in leaps and bounds. I'm telling you, like I've never seen someone make as much progress in such a fast pace as this woman. And the Holy Spirit has just gotten a hold of her. She's no longer working in the club. Two Sundays ago, I got a phone call from Angie. It was early in the morning. And she said, hey, I have to notify you of a security risk that could affect our church today. I said, what's that? She goes, last night, two men showed up at the club. They were looking for this young woman. They found out that she quit. And they told the manager of the club that they were going to go find her, they were going to rape her, and they were going to kill her. And so the club manager, who normally would blow that off, for some reason got a hold of Angie because she trusted Angie. Angie, the one who's been going into her club, going into Samaria for the last two years, got a hold of Angie, and she said to Angie, you've got to go and find her. 
And they actually had to go get, they they brought the police into this. The police came, they got her out of her house, brought her to Angie's house. And then Angie told me, she said, look, we want to come to church today, but we just want to know if that's okay. Because like these men could show up at church. And I said, well, that's fine. Like there's a reason why we hire a sheriff. So bring her to church. We have a sheriff at the front door and he will meet them if they have a problem. We have a few other police officers who attend our church. Let's make sure they're notified of the security risk. So they came. They came to church, and instead of of coming to the 9 o'clock service, they were a little intimidated. So they just went up and spent the whole morning in the prayer room during that 9 o'clock service. And then at the 11 o'clock service, she she felt enough confidence that she came and she sat down in the front row and just had her Bible open and soaked up the entire thing. And then last Sunday, she was there again. And now we've got a group of people around her, helping her figure out life, helping her with, with housing, helping her with, with you know, resources. You know, that's a tough resume to come back from to find a new job. And one of the things I've learned, man, is the enemy's gonna fight for her, so we've just gotta be willing to fight harder than he is. We, we've gotta be willing to stand in the gap more than he will, because he wants her with everything he has. And so we, we, like, if, if we're serious about this, we gotta put our money where our mouth is, we gotta put our lives where our mouth is, and we've gotta be all about this. So she was there last Sunday, Bible open, front row, just soaking it up. She looked visibly different, visibly different. And after service, I, I greeted her, I gave her a high five, and I said hi to her, and I called her by her name, the name that we all have known her by. And she said, oh, by the way, I needed to tell you, uh, that's not my name anymore. I said, what? what do you mean that's not your name anymore? She goes, that, that was not ever really my real name. It was just the name I used in the club, and then it kind of became my name that everybody knew me by. She said, God gave me a new name. I said, really? I said, what is it? She said, yeah, I was reading in the Word the other day, and and the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me, and he told me my new name. He said, your new name is Heaven. And so she goes, that's my new name now. I'm I'm Heaven. I said, all right, Heaven, I'm going to call you that. I like that, Heaven. And, and, And her life is completely transformed. And man, this is a messy road. we got a long way to go. We got a lot of things to figure out. But, but that's what it looks like when we begin to engage Samaria, right? Like, like we see what, what the enemy wants to do is create hell on earth. And, and we see God step in and he say, look, everything that you've done, everything that the enemy's done to create hell, I'm going to take that and I'm going to redeem it. And I'm actually going to call it by a new name. I'm going to call it heaven. What does Jesus say? What are we supposed to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is literally calling us to bring heaven on earth. And I'm telling you, the most beautiful place we can do that is in Samaria. It's in Samaria. You and I are called to Samaria, friends. We are called to go there, to embrace and to engage Samaria. Many thanks to Shepherd Chevrolet GMC who made this morning's program possible. To learn more about Firm Foundations or the churches and ministries of FEC, please go to fecministries.org.